You're listening to Feral Attraction. Hosted by Metrico and Vero the Science Collie. On this week's show, we open with a discussion on video games and life fulfillment. Our main topic is on first times. We discuss our own first time experiences and describe what we consider to be best practices for yours. We close out the show with a question on how to kindly tell off a clingy ex-submissive and a question on female mersuiting. Hello again and welcome to Feral Attraction. I'm Metrico. And I'm Fear of the Science Collie. So, a little bit of behind-the-scenes information. Um, This is not our first time recording the first-time episode. This is our second time. Um, (laughs) There were, luckily, you know, you don't have to be a virgin to talk about your first times. Um, There were some massive technical difficulties with both the and rendering of the audio as well as the splits and unfortunately we had to re-record so we apologize for the delay and getting this out but uh we 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 just i mean there's a lot of traveling going on some work conflicts and yeah, we just that's the thing so I, i'm actually uh traveling i'm, I'm not it, at home right now myself so I'm, if there's a bit of a uh, deviation in recording quality this week i don't have my usual mic so i apologize this is my travel setup but uh, hopefully you still enjoy the content nonetheless. And if we seem slightly less enthusiastic about some of the storytelling this week, we do apologize. But that's because we did tell these stories much more enthusiastically probably the first time. But <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll still try to mix in some spice and keep everything nice for you. Don't worry. Hmm. We've also, we also had to toss out. We also had to toss out our intro topic because unfortunately yes! our intro topic got tossed out of office. Yay! Yeah, we had this wonderful topic. Well, I did, and Vera just like, yep, that's right. Like he he was my Greek chorus, um, where we made fun of Scaramucci and how he was fully transparent and why that doesn't work in life or in relationships the way that he thought transparency worked, and then he got himself fired. So that was a problem for us because that meant we had to basically scrap a good portion of the show. But there was a recent article in Reason Magazine that came out that was actually kind of interesting and and almost fandom specific. Uh, As we talk about, a lot of fandom activity happens online just due to the, the nature of us being a spread out community. And also not everybody can afford or has the time off to go to conventions. So we spend a lot of our time online being a community that really started at conventions and then through fanzines and then through, you know, listservs. So there's a, the article um, in reason magazine was about young men. And apparently young men are playing video games instead of getting jobs. And that's okay for now. And it's a fascinating article. It was written by uh, Peter Suderman. Um, And what they found is, you know, now more than ever, young men, and we're talking men in their 20s, are pursuing leisure activity, we'll say, as opposed to seeking gainful employment. Now, this is actually really relevant because, uh, and I think this, this is why I think this, this article is super relevant for the furry fandom, is that I think furry occupies a similar niche to um, video gaming 
for so philosophy is actually in both of these camps. Let me explain. Let me back up a little bit. So mm-hmm. here's the thought process, right? So this article is focusing on young men who happen to be in their twenties, right? The majority demographic of the furry fandom is young men in their twenties, right? That is the big like Gaussian distribution or like bell curve. The, the, the huge hump of that bell curve is going to be over young men in their twenties in terms of the demographics in the fandom. So this article is hugely relevant for two reasons. One of which is a lot of those people also are major video game players because our fandom is actually steeped in and based in video game culture because a lot of the anthropomorphic characters that we maybe fell in love with in our youth happen to be either cartoon or video game characters, right? So that's actually where our fandom comes from in large part is from an affinity for video game characters and you know other cartoon characters, right? For the most part, in addition to other ways, right? There's Therians, there's, there's a big ten, right? There's lots of different ways yeah. of finding the fandom. You can just be attracted to animal parts and, and, and anthropomorphic, you know, all these things, right? But a lot of them get their exposure from, wow, I don't know why, but that Thundercats, man, I really like that cartoon, right? That's kind of, you know, <laughs> or like, man, Lion King really spoke to me in a really powerful way and made me feel kind of weird, you know, or tingly somewhere, right? Like that's kind of where, mm. you know, a lot of people find their, their fandom, you know, interest, right? So like this being the thing, uh, I think it's really important to, to take into account this idea that for a lot of you know young men, especially those who maybe don't have the, the good fortune or the uh, the kind of the privilege to be in the, col- the, the, you know, the college track to get a college education, uh, and a lot of furries are in this camp um, who you know because they don't have that ability then to go and find jobs so easily. A lot of them are still living at home, which is what this article is talking about, and then they find their uh, kind of source of uh, progress and uh, efficacy. And achievement, and they get their sense of all of those things from kind of these alternative sources. And this article is predominantly pointing to video games as being a source of achievement and feelings of success and powerfulness. Mm-hmm. But I would also argue that the kind of um, I almost I feel like gamification of things like Twitter followers and such that goes on in the furry fandom, where people try to kind of like turn the fandom into a game they can win, where it's like a competition to gain followers and like you know who's can have that the you know the most people retweet their you know fursuit pick or whatever like. That when you turn when you gamify the fandom, I feel like that might also be a psychological force at play here, where some of these disaffected individuals who don't have jobs or feel underemployed or don't feel gainfully employed really, then you know feel a need to find a source of you know progress and, att- and achievement and attainment elsewhere, and perhaps right. you know social climbing from the fandom might be one of those things. And then in, in another sense, you know, video gaming itself, playing these long open world games with these you know, multitude of achievements where you can play these games literally you know forever and not complete everything all these the, the kind of the prolific expansion of open world gaming has really created this you know all these games where you know people can really feel like it's almost like a job where they have to you know put, put time into it in order to, to to make progress right and it's kind of this a uh, very different sort of uh gaming used to be a something you do you know for fun for 20 minutes right like you go to the arcade and play you know pong but now it's actually becoming a pastime where people are you know spending oodles of time in these really immersive games right so it's definitely you know i think especially as things like vr come online and we move we move more towards mixing online social interaction with gaming and especially as the fandom then kind of merges into that it's gonna be really interesting to see how many people furries you know in the people in the furry demographic do find the allure of you know being existing in these online worlds where they can kind of be this alternative character and, and find progress and progression uh you know as you know as game character rather than as, as a, a person in real life i do wonder how that's going to 
change, you know, the fandom moving forward in, in a few years where it becomes more and more possible to strictly socialize online and the need to actually engage with anything in the real world continues to decline. It's a real interesting issue, especially as we talk about things like basic income, this idea that there might actually even be enough jobs to employ everybody, right? So, you know, is this escapism even a bad thing? And if it's not a bad thing, then, you know, that's actually another talking point. Maybe we should just be providing a basic income to these individuals and letting them have their fun. Because one thing they talk about in the article, which I think is really fascinating, is that these individuals tend to be really happy. So it's not that they're sad playing these games. These games are actually great. They're really entertaining games, right? People who play Skyrim and Grand Theft Auto and, um, uh, you know, all these wonderful open-world games, they're, they're great games, right? So people are having fun. So the issue is not so much that they're, having, that they're not enjoying themselves. The, the stereotype of people being depressed in their basement is actually wrong. They're actually quite happy in their basement playing video games. The problem is a lot of these individuals have trouble forming social connections, and that's what this article talks about. They have trouble forming families, and they have trouble having careers later in life because later on they, they start craving those connections, and they haven't kind of developed the social skills and haven't put out the feelers to have that social network to fall back on for things like networking to find jobs and in order to, to form a family and, and find a relationship partner. So, and I think that's another area where the fandom that definitely rings truth in the fandom, right? Metric this idea that you know, social skills and this ability to network and, and connect is what often suffers as a result of this form of you know, progress and attainment being your primary source of attainment of that, and not being in the real world. And so I think that then becomes you know, where, where feral attraction kind of comes in, is then talking about how do we help people who maybe are mostly getting their source of you know, success and attainment from things like video gaming and online culture to then actually form human connections and actually have meaningful social lives where they can actually form you know, meaningful, deep, emotional, romantic connections. I think that's a really cool thing. So what, what's your, do you have a take on that, Metrico? I, I do have comments, yes. Um, so a few things that I want to say is that video games don't have to be this this isolated sort of endeavor and a lot of video games are gearing up more to be this multiplayer sort of immersive environment um you can go the traditional tabletop route obviously of course with things like dungeons and dragons card-based games tile-based games your games in general and a lot of people tend to include those as a social function where they'll have board game night or hey let's get together and play a game of Dominion or a game of Carcassonne or a game of, you know, Settlers of Catan, because for them, the idea of friendly competition can oftentimes replace the need for gainful employment. Now, I'm gainfully employed and I play video games. Um, that's not a secret. If you follow my Twitter, you can definitely see that I've been playing a lot of Final Fantasy XIV, which is an online multiplayer game. A lot of people that I know, when they grew up, they grew up playing games like EverQuest or WoW or RuneScape, things that were multiplayer and did encourage you to develop these sorts of communication skills. I think that the world that we're in is changing, with automation coming up and up and up, and the need for lower-skilled workers lessening. The question then becomes, what does everybody do? Now, obviously, I believe that we need to have some form of a universal basic income. That way people can survive without the need to, you know, have a job. Because right now that's something we struggle with. One, and 
believe every four, every five Americans just just within the United States alone struggle with meeting basic nutrition. Um, they're food starved. They live in uh, food deserts where they don't have groceries or supermarkets or any place to buy healthy food. So they're stuck going to get takeout or eating unhealthy, overly processed food that is, you know, meant for, hey, you can have this once in a while, not every day. So, you know, the way that I view it is is a little bit, it's still in line with the article, but it's perhaps a little bit more optimistic. I believe that it is possible for us as individuals, male, female, whatever you might be, to understand and to learn interaction with others from these sorts of games. Um, you have to be able to learn cooperative skills, how to negotiate, how to improve yourself. And that's really kind of where the idea of this being a full-time job comes into play. I stopped playing World of Warcraft because it became a second job to me. I have to manage all of these different things, and I have to do this, and I have to do that, and I have to do this on a daily basis, and if I don't do it, then I get penalized, and it became this crushing weight to where I would go work eight hours, and then I'd come home, and oh my god, I have four hours of work to do, and where did my day go? For people who struggle to find work, or who just decide, you know what, I can live at home. My parents are fine with that. They would prefer for me to stay home. This is a way that I can build this sort of interaction because I don't have a lot of money and going out, building these connections can be rather expensive. You know, why would I spend 15 bucks on a movie that I go see for two, three hours when I could spend 15 bucks and have a month of enjoyment in the world of Azeroth? What's important to note in all of this is that it doesn't build these professional connections. This is what the author is talking about. You don't build the LinkedIn connections. I, I don't think that there is a LinkedIn for people who play video games uh, where you can list your skills and then people recruit you to mid-level management because you were an officer in a high-level raiding guild that had a world first. You don't necessarily get those kinds of opportunities. I'm not disparaging video games. I think that they are a useful tool for everybody to learn cooperative skills, to learn to think outside of the box, and a way to relax and unwind. Video games, to me, have represented a way for me to sort of escape for a brief moment bad things that are happening in my life or really to feel powerful on a moment where I definitely felt powerless. One thing that I would note is you want to limit the time that you spend in a virtual sort of world. It's important to see people in the real world. It's important to build those connections. If you want to have a professional career, it is important that you begin making those connections as well. If it is a struggle for you to decide whether you go to out to find an internship or to play a video game, 
if you want to have 20, 30 years from now, a more fulfilling career, then it might be a better option for you to find an internship. The beautiful thing is that it is never a this or that sort of arrangement. You can find a healthy balance between the two. What you're looking for is essentially, you know, a level of efficacy in the real world, a level of you being able to be productive in a tangible sense and then productive in perhaps a virtual sense. I found a lot of the people that I've met, not just through the internet in general, but through video games, whether it's in a guild or through just random casual play or going to a brick and mortar store to play Dungeons and Dragons. A lot of these individuals are people that I keep up with and I speak to on a highly regular basis. So I dislike the idea that people who play video games in their room in the dark don't have friends. There's a difference between being alone and being lonely. And for a lot of people, video games help bridge that gap. Within the fandom, we have so many different games that are, I would say, targeted to the fandom in general. Uh, I mean, we can look at all the furry communities within Second Life, of course, but you also have Tapestries, Furry Mock, Furcadia, all of these multiplayer online games that help people who might feel isolated, who might have these interests, but they think that maybe they're alone. They can't find a way to find new friends or people to talk to about their interests. It's a way that we're able to bring everybody together. I would like to see... In the direction that we're going with VR, with the ability to create more immersive worlds for us to be able to ensure that nobody feels like they're truly alone. Right now, it's really conventions that get the full fanfare. And a lot of people feel that if you don't have the fursuit, if you don't go to the convention, then you are not really an active part of this community. You have people who may not be able to go to local meets. You have people who might be underage. You have people who just may not have the money. I would like to see a time come about where we could still have real-life meetups. We can still have conventions. But why can't we also have a VR space where people can design their own avatars and walk around and feel as if, even if they can't make it to a real-life function, they can still contribute to a fandom that they find an important part in their life. And that's really kind of what a beautiful form of video games and virtualization is. It's the idea that we can come together in any form of any kind of media. Print, the internet, physical form, these are all ways that we've done it in the past, but we have yet to really capitalize, outside of, say, Second Life, on having a virtual sort of footprint that is interactive and a game. Again, you, you have those other, uh, you know, for Kadia, for Amok Tapestries, but those mostly cater to a rather niche sort of market within the fandom. I would like to see the way that everything's moving forward. Uh, in terms of VR, in terms of virtual um, worlds that could be created, that we can do this. Now, it's important that you don't allow 
these sorts of accomplishments that you get from video gaming, though. You might be super overpowered barbarian Dungeons and Dragons 3.5 edition. <laughs> but the issue with video games is that they are somewhat transient. They're not necessarily permanent. You shouldn't fall in love, perhaps, with the character that you create, but it is completely fine to fall in love with the friendships that you make from that. And that's really kind of the difference. You don't want to become lost in a story that you create, but you should be seeking fulfillment in the connections that you make from creating that story. When it comes to building a network of support from gaming, it's entirely possible. The group that I play uh, Final Fantasy XIV with, for example, is incredibly supportive. Um, oftentimes in our group chat, people discuss problems that they're encountering, people offer advice. It's a highly supportive, super-duper diverse group of individuals that I play with. And I find that to be something incredibly beautiful, because this is not a forced community. This is not like you show up to a class and everybody's stuck together and you have to find a way to make it work. These are people that come together with essentially one commonality. This is, this is again, what we call a liminality. This is representative of the fandom, which is in itself also a liminality. And it's important that we find ways that the liminality that we create can be useful and heartful for everybody within it. So with video games, they're healthy. It's a healthy form of escapism. But if you escape too much, you lose complete contact with the real world. And this is true of any media, anime, the fandom, whatever your vice might be. It's important that you have a real world rooting. So and that's just because human beings need, I mean, we need yeah. real world. That's a human beings still exist in meat space. That's the problem, right? So yeah. you, you can't completely neglect your meat space existence in order to, because, you know, frankly, you know, existing as a persona or existing as a video game character or existing in any of these realities, you get in your fursuit, going to conventions, all this stuff is kind of escapist, right? And the escapism yeah. is wonderful, but you can't escape to the point of not neglecting yourself that you wither away because then there's nothing to come back to when, once you've, you're done escaping, right? You need something to come back yeah. to. And that's really important. Yeah. So, so make sure like... you're not neglecting, yeah, <laughs> make sure you're not neglecting, you know, your, your you know, Ready Player One style. You don't want to you know, waste away in, in your chair while you're, you're off in, in another world, right? But at the same time, you don't want, you don't have to feel shame if you play games, you don't have to feel shame if, like, no, I don't actually want to go out. I want to do this. There's no shame and in playing like games. Not, yeah, there's nothing wrong with taking happiness from it. There's nothing wrong with not feeling a need for a relationship because, you know what, I don't need a relationship right now because I'm just enjoying, you know, school and video games. I don't want the complication of a relationship. Yeah, if that's enough to make you happy. Frankly, that's how I got through high school and college. I gamed. I played video games. I read books. I jerked off, and I studied, and I didn't have time or patience for relationships but i decided that i didn't want that distraction while i was trying to perform at a really high level academically so i put off seeking relationships until after i finished school and then that worked out really well for me so you know that's one approach right but like i didn't really feel particularly i didn't feel shameful about that but there did come a point where i was you know what i'm putting all of my time into games and reading all these introverted activities and i realized i've got nobody to hang out with <laughs> i'm now i'm now i'm in new york city i'm a graduate student and i have no friends 
And that was hard for me. So that's when I finally decided, you know what, I needed to cut back on my gaming. I kind of stopped being a gamer for a while. And frankly, I haven't really gotten back into it since. I, I'm kind of starting to dabble with getting a bit back into gaming right now, actually. But I haven't really, I still identify as a gamer, but I haven't really gamed heavily in the last five or six years. And that's when I kind of decided to start developing my social network. And I haven't really regretted that at all. I've had a great time doing that. But um, gaming is what suffered. That's what, that's what, that's actually what gave my relation in my, in my life is as I've developed more interpersonal relationships, the thing that I cut back on was gaming. And so gaming is the thing that I do when I have nothing else to do. And lately that hasn't come up. I've been so busy with my relationships. So, you know, I think it honestly is a lot of times one or the other for people. And I think realizing that there's kind of, they can both fulfill some of the same emotional needs, but a relationship that obviously continues outside of the game, whereas, you know, EA can shut their servers off and your game can be gone, right? It's yeah. important to have that real that real world stuff, right? And I think that's kind of what we're talking about. But there's also, there's also on the flip side, there's nothing wrong with using gaming to fulfill a necessary emotional function in your life either. Like, there's no shame in that. But just be aware that it is occupying a slot that probably could be filled by a job or a relationship. So, you know, mm-hmm. those are things you keep in mind that those are you only have so much time in a day and you can slot in those other activities for that time, right? If you're spending six hours a day gaming, that could be six hours a day at a part time job or six hours a day, you know, dating somebody. So, like, you know, that's. Cost. Exactly, yeah. So, because keep in mind, you don't want. It can be six hours a day, maybe. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, but maybe it shouldn't be every day, right? Maybe it should be, there should be some days devoted to other activities, right? Yeah, I mean, I spend most of the time that I play video games when I have downtime. It's, I keep a rather busy schedule, but if I have a few minutes here, a few minutes there, it's I'll do something because I think it's fun. And, you know... I think it's reading to fill downtime. That's the thing, so... For me, reading has really filled that spot in my life. Maybe that's how I'm turning into too much of an adult. But like, and I, I reach for like my RSS feeds, not not my not my 3ds. You know? Well, the thing is, is with me because I have to ride the train far more than you do. I'm able to use that downtime to get my reading in. So there's a little bit more travel with me because I have a physical location that I work at. Where as you can go to the Grand Canyon and potentially still get work done. So I'm a filthy freelancer who's globe trots a lot. I know disgusting, but you know, one thing that I do kind of want to say is, you know, my last point on this, because I feel like I've totally derailed where this topic was. No, everything's kind of really great fandom conversation, which is kind of what our show is about. Right. So heaven forbid we discuss furry fandom and relationships as they exist in culture. Like, Sorry if we made this a little bit too highbrow for you guys. Uh, we'll we'll get lowbrow when we start talking about set bad sex first times in a few minutes. I don't. I don't even think it's like that. super highbrow. It's I think more like the scope of this article is like young men in their twenties and thirties, like more now than ever. About seventy percent live at home with their parents. Twenty-two percent of men in their twenties who lack college degrees haven't worked a single day in the past. You know, three hundred and sixty-five rolling periods since the article was written. Da 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 da. This, the person who's writing this is taking a an economist sort of perspective on the overall sort of video gaming culture and video gaming that the I don't care about any of that, though, because what I care more about is the fact that we as individuals get to create the worlds around us. We get to create the life that we want for us, and it's important that we invest in the proper areas. That being said, 
just like the fandom, just like video games. It is possible to find a good group of friends. I know plenty of people, uh, hell, two of my good friends met playing EverQuest and they got married. Like, there, there are plenty of guilds that I know in World of Warcraft and Final Fantasy and all of these video games that will have real-life meetups and they discover, hey, we get along really well in person as well as online. So it is entirely possible to build lifelong, lasting relationships, you know, e even romantic entanglements from these sorts of things. So it's totally cool to sort of follow up on those. It's totally cool if you're looking for a network of geeks and nerds that you get along with, it's totally fine to search for them there. But I would always recommend that you look at your real world community first, because in times of crisis, when you need a shoulder to cry on, unfortunately, right now, you know, forward slash cry isn't really going to do much for you. So unfortunately, uh, so <laughs> find real world connections. Yeah. Yeah, and try to become like a more well-rounded, you know, have an online and a real world sort of presence. And you'll find that life is a little bit more, well, you know, just, just fulfilling in general. Um, I do think that we, as a worldwide culture, we are coming to a crossing point within the next 20 to 30 years where so much of our Work is going to be automated from factory work to farming to, hell, even some office jobs that we're going to have to find ways to manage that. So it's important that we look at that as a society and we stop viewing games as a way to escape and we start looking at them as a way to fulfill, just like the fandom itself. It should not be a way for you to escape the world, but it should be a fulfilling experience towards your life as a whole. Um, read the article. It's really long, but it's really fascinating. It's a really great article. Yeah, I liked it a lot. Yeah. So I would highly recommend reading it. Um, and, you know, share your experiences with us. Um, because the beautiful thing about games, whether it's a tabletop game, whether it's a video game, is that everybody has these wonderful memories of whether it was the first time you killed Anixia or the first time that you had to face off and the Minds of Madness, whether it's the time that your level 20 barbarian became a god, maybe you dragon shouted somebody off of the top of a mountain, and that was fun for you and everybody that saw it. That's the beautiful thing about gaming. So, you know, share your experiences with us, because I know plenty of people have them. But we want to share our experiences with you now, though. We want to share our first-time experiences. A lot yeah, of the... Because, you know, there's a topic that's you know, important to me, and it's sort of talking about Metrico extra much this episode, just because of latency. I'm more of an LTE connection this week, so I apologize for that, Metrico. But uh, you know, one reason I really wanted to do this topic is because you know people ask about our first times pretty often, and they ask, you know, I'm really nervous about my first time. What were your first times like? And we like kind of instead of just being telling you guys, this is either your best practices for first times. We'll get to that towards the end of the show. We kind of want to, you know, peel the curtain back on some of our own flubs and mistakes that we made with our own first times because we want to, don't really want to come across as being the experts who know better than you because we made all the same mistakes. It's not like we knew any better at the time. So we kind of want to make it make it, you guys realize that, like, you know, we fucked all this up first. Like, we didn't get here by, like, magically knowing better. We, we fucked up, and that's how we know better now. So please learn from our mistakes and the things that we regret about our first times 
so that maybe you don't make some of those same mistakes. Because I, ha- I do have some regrets about the way that I lost my virginities. I feel like there are virginities rather than just one, because, you know, with guys especially, it's kind of like, well, what does that even mean? It's kind of a weird concept. But um, anyway, the point is, my first times doing very sexual activities, I would have maybe done them differently if I knew then what I currently know and how, if I knew myself as well then as I know myself now. So that's kind of what we wanted to address. And I think just leading off, you know, I'll talk a bit about myself and then Metrico will take a turn. Then we'll, after that, we'll kind of get into our, uh, our best practices uh, towards the end. So that's kind of the outline for the show. Um, so my first times, as I mentioned earlier when we were talking about the video gaming article, I did not really pursue dating at all when I was in either high school or college. And I had kind of a very interesting so actual first sexual experience and I know this is kind of might be somewhat triggering for people who might be a victim of, of sexual abuse as, or childhood sexual abuse. So, and if any of those types of issues are triggering for you, you might want to skip this episode going forward. But I just going to put that out there. But I was actually um, a neighbor boy that I was kind of that lived next to me when I was probably about ten or eleven years old. Um, used to come over and, hang, and we we were kind of best friends. We lived right next to each other. We we would hang out. We play all the time. And eventually one day he asked me if I wanted to play the privacy game. And I had no idea what that was, but it sounded interesting. And it ended up being us getting naked behind the dumpster behind the apartment building that I lived in and kind of just exploring each other's bodies and kind of, you know, being precocious gay children. Um, but it was actually like, it was, so my first kind of sexual experiences were with this boy who lived next door. It was when I was like 10, 11 and 12. And like, we just kind of like, explored the heck out of each other physically and um it was really fun and we it was not i mean it wasn't traumatic or harming or neither ex- experienced it as being bad um eventually i moved away and we kind of just parted as really kind of we cried a lot and like we're really sad to leave each other behind because we were like best friends but we never really we didn't really stay in touch because back then like you know the internet wasn't really a thing that i had access to yet and i i mean i just didn't have a way of doing that we were kids so i mean i kind of feel bad I never stayed in touch with him but he was actually a really great first time and what's I just didn't really experience what we were doing as being sexual. It just seemed like a fun thing I did with my friend. And it took until like years later that I, I didn't realize how much I enjoyed that experience and how like it actually was very meaningful for me. And like it kind of, when I eventually put together that I was gay, it all clicked why I enjoyed it so much. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> now I understand. Now I get it. I liked him. <laughs> So that was kind of, you know, very, <laughs> very eye-opening. And, um, but so like, that was my first experience. But the cool thing is like, I had that experience to look back on when I was in high school and in high school, I was, I went to a very deeply Catholic religious high school. So I didn't really want to do anything sexual while I was in school. Cause I was so terrified and paranoid of being outed as gay that I just kind of suppressed that side of myself and didn't do anything. And it wasn't until I got to college that I finally let myself start experimenting again uh, when after I finally turned 18, so I realized, you know what, I haven't done anything, and now I'm 18, and like, I, feel, I felt kind of embarrassed that I'd never actually done anything sexual as an adult. And so I wanted to like actually like touch my first real-life adult penis because I was gay, and I'd never done that before. I kind of just got desperate. And I felt, at that point, I had really poor self-esteem. I had just lost about 65 pounds. I, um, and I, so I, I still kind of felt like I was carrying that weight kind of figuratively and literally. And so... The way I chose to lose my virginity was by just placing a, an ad on, um, I believe it was Craigslist. Yeah, it was Craigslist yeah. that I did that. And uh, <laughs> so, 
some like ponytail 30 year old dude just shows up and like, you know, in my dorm one day when my roommate was going to be out for a few hours and, you know, I was just so, I wanted to get over with so badly, even though I wasn't very attracted to this guy, he wasn't even my type. I just, I wanted to get over with so badly. I had him up to the room and like, he was really eager because I was just like shy 18 year old kid. And you know, I'm sure he found that really attract, you know, really hot. So, you know, knowing he's going to put this virgin kid stick in, in him. So, Anyway, I topped him with a condom on, and it was, I got to feel his dick, and he had a nice dick, and that was fun. I copped a few feels, and I topped him. I didn't last very long, and I also, at the time, it was kind of funny. I was convinced, uh, until fairly recently, that I had a very small dick. I, like, all through, like, high school, and, like, all through then, I was absolutely convinced that I was not well endowed at all. And so, um... It was kind of this guy when I was when I was topping him. Like I, apparently I like I rushed. I'm looking back. I know that I did. Like I, I did not take my time at all. I just kind of was, I was all in. Like I was just like pedal to the metal with this guy. And that I mean he was a trooper. He took it. But like I mean he's like wow man you're really like you need to like slow down slow down. Like I can't take it this fast. I'm like wow like I don't know what's the deal. Like this can't be that big of a deal. Like I'm not. I know I'm not well endowed. It's like in my head like I I couldn't process like why is this guy having trouble, you know. But like now looking back, I'm like, oh wait a second, like I'm actually not small. Like I and I, I didn't realize. Like it's it's stupid. It's funny how your brain can trick you into thinking things, right? Because like I was convinced that I was ugly, and I was convinced that I had a small dick. And it took me years, literally years, of other people telling me that neither of those things were true before I actually could internalize them. It's very strange psychologically how that works. But I mean, that was the case. So anyway, I almost impaled this guy, uh, and and he, you know, he, it was it was not the best. But apparently he still enjoyed the experience psychologically because he said it was a good time. And uh, I stroked him a little bit and he ended up, you know, finishing himself off. And then we wiped up and he left and never saw that guy again. But um, that was my first time. So, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't exactly romantic or emotionally invested. All in all, it wasn't traumatic. It was just kind of meh. And I did it. And it was it was over. So <laughs> that was I mean, eh, I mean, I, it was it was OK. That, that was my first time topping. I did decide that I wanted to try bottoming, even though I, I kind of had gotten the sense that I probably was more of a top. Um, I decided I wanted to at least try it. So I had another guy over, because I'm smart, I used Craigslist again. And uh, this time it was at least somebody in their mid to late 20s. I remember him very distinctly, because he had this weird star tattoo on his hip. But I had the extreme misfortune of this guy showing up when he was really hungover, and had like leftover whiskey dick from the day before. And he had like a solid seven and a half inch dick that was pretty thick. Like it wasn't, he was not a poorly endowed guy at all. So for my first attempt, I picked someone who was hung. Not, but not intentional. I actually hadn't seen his dick before he came over. Because uh, back at the time, I thought it was actually more romantic to not know ahead of time. I've changed my mind since. But uh, <laughs> anyway, back then I thought it was, I, back then I didn't want to ruin the surprise. So anyway, he was hung and I was like, oh my God, I have to put that in my butt. And he's like, yes, you do. So he could, he could get hard, but he couldn't finish. So after about 90 minutes of him jackhammering in me like a bunny rabbit, I find, and, and me thinking, okay, it's got to stop hurting eventually. It's supposed to feel good eventually, right? Like eventually it feels like it's got to feel better. He's like, oh, yeah, man, it should start feeling good any minute now. I'm like, it's not feeling good. Um, eventually, okay, I, got, I don't think I can finish. I guess I, I guess I can't come. I'm like, oh. And he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go. I'm like, oh. So he uh, he went, and that was that. So my first time bottoming was being jackhammered by a guy who was too hung, who didn't use enough lube, and 
who couldn't even finish, and literally started taking texts from his sister while he was topping me. I'm not even kidding. He was, like, planning dinner with his sister while he was inside of me. Like, it was, like, the least... It was horrible. And, like, I, I was already feeling leaning, like, leaning towards being a top, but having this abysmal bottoming experience be my first time, um, I didn't try again until I was in graduate school. So... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and then in graduate school, that was a fun time. I, I hooked up with a guy who lied to me about his race. And this was on Grinder, so man, I was moving up in the world. Man, two years in advance. So now I'm Grinder. So man, he's Grinder. I met up with this great guy. So he claimed, he, pretend, he said he was white, and he had, he was actually a Persian in descent. Now I have nothing against being a Persian descent, but don't lie and say you're white. Like that was just a weird thing to do. I'm like, why did you say you were white? This is so strange. He's like, oh, I was really worried you wouldn't like me if I was Persian. I'm like, well, what the fuck, man? That's not a good way to introduce yourself. Like, I'm like, this is And of course, now I would have just like turned and walked away, right? That's a red flag, right? But like, dumb, naive me at like 21, I'm like, oh, yeah, it's okay. I, I don't want to leave this guy hanging. I, I don't want to impose by like, by letting, by him. Man, he thought I was coming out to like get, get him off. I, if I leave, he'll feel bad. So, of course, me being a stupid 21 year old who doesn't want to make anyone feel bad, I decided I needed to make this guy come. So I go up to his apartment. And then, you know, he proceeds to put a condom on and, you know, we start doing the nasty. And then he decides he wants to, like, do, I mean, he, he, I'm not quite loose enough for him because I've only ever bottomed, like, twice. And he's not having enough, quite enough fun because I'm so tight and wincing. And he decides he's going to force me to do poppers. So he starts trying to shove poppers in my nose. And I start literally screaming at this guy, like, dude, what the fuck are you doing? I don't do that. Like, stop it, man. Don't squirt any shit in my nose. What the fuck? Like, like, and so that was like, and then of course I'm super stressed and tensed now because this guy has tried forcing a drug on me and I'm clenching up. My, I'm like, it, I'm seeing horrific pain now from him topping me because I'm no longer relaxed whatsoever. And again, completely abysmal bottoming. <laughs> so I was scared off of bottoming again for like another, like four years after that. So um, yeah, so there's, like, I'm, I'm definitely a top, I'm definitely, like, I enjoy topping a lot, and I definitely, I'm dominant in personality, so it all works out, but, like, I, I really have trouble, I have trust issues around bottoming from how bad my first few experiences were that I think I'm still getting over, so I don't bottom casually, I don't think I ever will be able to bottom casually again, because every time I bottom casually, I've had horrific, ex- <laughs> you know, horrific experience with it, so it's yeah. just not worth it to me at all. Um, but yeah, so those are my first times, not the best, you know, it's, it's, I'm going to go all the way back with me because you started in the way back machine yourself. (laughs) And I, I think like all kids, you know, there, there is this natural curiosity, um, to explore your body and like, Hey, how's my body? Like your body and that sort of thing. Um, I, my parents went to this Presbyterian church and it was the kind of a church campus where the pastor and his family lived like right next to the church. It was a church house. Um, really, really kind of nice building. Like this was a, this was a very well-off sort of church. Um, and my father had recently become a member of the church leadership. So after church, he would have to stay behind. And my mother was there as well. And since we all went in one car, 
Um, we were kind of just like, well, what are we going to do now? So the pastor had a son that was a little bit younger than I was about a year or two younger. And so he and I would go to his room in the, in the house that he lived in right next to the church. And he had, I had just moved beyond the, um, you know, in a, the, the cartoon character underwear phase, but he was still there. Like all of his underwear had cartoon characters and he was always so excited to show them to me. And then he wanted to see mine and I'm like, they're boring. They're plain, they're white. Huzzah. And so the first thing we would do, we would close the door. We would strip down <laughs> and this carried on for some time until his parents found out. And, um, they were pretty much like, you can't do that anymore. And like, he was like, okay. And shortly after that, um, we left the church, not because of that, but because my father wanted to have a higher position, but, um, they wouldn't give it to him. So he went somewhere where he could get that, um, to him, religion wasn't about Jesus. It was about, um, power. And that was kind of the end of my being religious when I figured that out. Um, but I, I still kind of, you know, fondly remember like, you know, being 11, 12 and sort of learning, you know, Hey, guess what boys kind of at the same parts that I do. I grew up in such a sheltered home that my sex ed was motherfucking, you know, encyclopedia Britannica. Like I had, my parents never had the talk with me. My parents, uh, like nothing. It's, I knew nothing about anything, nothing about my parts. They wouldn't even address them to me. Um, it was a very conservative household. Like it was a household where nobody told anybody that they loved each other. Um, my parents, they never really kissed or hugged or did anything in front of me. They were very much so like, we don't show affection in this household. This is not that kind of a house. If you wanted to live in that kind of a household, then we would be Democrats. So <laughs> super religious, conservative household. Um, when I went to high school, um, it's a requirement was you had to take language courses and I clapped out of French because, um, I had gone to a school where I learned it and spoke it fluently. It's, um, considered like I, I learned English and French simultaneously growing up. Um, I didn't actually have an English class until I was about 12 or 13. So, um, a little fun fact there about me. Um, and so when I went to high school, um, there was a kid in the Spanish class that I took because I still had to take the course, even though I had the credits and he was kind of cute and we sat together and we had some of the same interests, but he was having some problems in Spanish and he and I got along well and I made good enough grades in the course because I knew enough about romance languages to kind of get away with a lot of really crappy things in Spanish where he was like, Hey man, do you think you could like come to my house after school and maybe like help me out with the homework and stuff? And I'm like, sure. Okay, cool. No problem. So 
we went over to his place and he lived with his brother and I thought his place was cool. Like he, he didn't have parents. He had a brother who was super permissive and his room, like he drew on the walls, like had all sorts of like really crazy shit in there. And I mean, I'm like, this is cool. This is nice. Like, you know, I, I can get behind this and Spanish tutoring was not Spanish tutoring. Spanish tutoring was below job time, apparently. So, like, he was, I was like, okay, well, I'll get the books out. And I really, you know, I'm like, he's cute, but I never really made any advances because, again, super conservative family. Like, I understood what sex was. I understood that I liked boys, but I was never going to act on it because... My parents hated, like, again, my parents were basically the Westboro Baptist Church of God Hates Fags level of of parenting and care about anybody that was not white and Christian, we'll say. <laughs> so I, did, I was never going to act on it. I was never going to out myself until I was, you know, at least in a college sort of environment and I could be self-sufficient and we could go from there. So um, I got all the books. I'm like, okay, let's study. And then I turned around and he was undoing his pants and he's like, yeah, we're not going to study. I'm like, uh Oh, Oh, uh Oh. <laughs> so I mean, sounds like a furry fantasy, honestly, but like, holy shit. Like, um, he, like, I feel, I think I read this on so furry. <laughs> <laughs> it might've been mine. Um, but it would have been back when it was the gift star. What's up? Um, like that come counter. So for me, it was definitely kind of, it, it was a more positive experience perhaps. Like I wasn't really, my jaw got really tired. His jaw got tired. We were both decently endowed and like, it was, it was kind of like an awkward ish experience because he, was because uh, like he wasn't he's like I don't want to kiss because I have a boyfriend and I'm like uh, oh okay well whatever he's like he doesn't mind that I do this but I don't want to kiss and I'm not gonna bottom I'm like that's fine I don't really want to do that anyway because like <laughs> you know you, you don't accelerate too fast in a car <laughs> training wheels baby so and we continue to hook up in that casual sense every now and then. And um, we would go on dates and by dates, I mean, I would, uh, when I got my driver's license, I would drive us to a Wendy's to get a salad before we went back to his place. Um, and then during this time, it's, uh, I made other friends who were maybe perhaps a little bit more liberal and they kind of figured it out. They're like, Oh, you are as gay as the day is long. I'm like, yeah, don't tell anybody. And I made a good friend who, um, I remember one time he got super drunk. We must've been 14 at the time. Um, I was over at his place and he got really drunk and I was a little bit tipsy and he was like, yeah, um, I don't know if I'm gay or straight, but I guess I can find out tonight. <laughs> and, um, so we, we fooled around a bit, like nothing too crazy. Um, I fingered him a bit. He fingered me. That was about the extent of penetration. And then he passed out after he threw up everywhere. 
And then he got a girlfriend and that girlfriend got jealous because he told her that story and she outed me. So then life continues on. I go and I start working in a gay club that was in town. Um, I got taken in by drag queens. They told me to lie about my age, which I did. And I got to work at a gay club, um, mostly behind the scenes stuff, but I had some cashier experience, um, and they needed somebody to work. They had a in-house sex store, uh, where they sold like bondage equipment and like things for homosexuals to fuck with because in my little conservative town, you didn't have that. So we lied about my age. We forged some documents. They got me a fake and everything was fine and fucking dandy. I was paid under the table. It was your standard, you know, 15, 16 year old working at a gay club when they really shouldn't be there at all. And so in order for me to learn about all this equipment, because again, super conservative, the fucking owner, like the, the, the person who ran the store was this old, like old school leather guard, like silver daddy. And he's like, well, I can demonstrate it on you how to use these restraints and how to use this harness. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm down with whatever. Like, I'm just like, cool. Well, I might as well learn. And some of those um, demonstrations were very public demonstrations. Um, The first time that I was flogged, it was not consensual and I did not enjoy it. Um, And it was very public and he did not obey the safe word, but you know, that's just kind of the way things are. Um, And well, they were, they shouldn't be that way. Um, That was incredibly unethical. And um, incredibly just a bad experience for me, but, um, it's, I discovered that I enjoyed, um, kind of using that sort of equipment. And then I went on to, um, basically, um, what, what we'll call it escorting for, I sucked a lot of dick to get through college. How about that? We'll put it like that. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, to be fair. So I think honestly, to, I don't want to do any discredit to the sex worker industry. So there is a yeah. difference between escorting and prostitution, which generally tends to be whether you're doing street work or whether you're taking calls, right? That's right. See, I wasn't doing street work. I did drag. I was kind of like a leather campy drag queen. But then like guys would be like, hey, so what are you doing after the show? And I'm just like, well, that depends on how much you've got in your bank account. (laughs) 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 And that's how that went. Um, And I worked um, at my city. And then when I went off to college, I worked at a few clubs, um, Southern Knights, Pulse, um, which a lot of people know about, um, and also Parliament House. Um, I went to school in Orlando, which I've discussed before. And again, a lot of dick I suck through college. But also, I tried to find a meaningful relationship, which was a mistake. Uh, (laughs) So I entered the dating scene. And among some of the people that I dated, um, just like, hey, I just broke up with my long-term girlfriend. And that was just him crying the entire time. I'm like, I thought we were going to, like, fuck. Um, (laughs) The first time that, that, like, I had, like in a relationship sense, like we're on a date. We're not like, it's not paid or anything. Like this is a legitimate 
romantic encounter, um, though. <laughs> um, I did not want to bottom, but he definitely wanted me to. And so, um, guy was a little bit bigger, a little bit beefier, a little bit stronger than I was and thought that my resistance was cute and pinned me down and, um, fucked me until he came inside me. Um, he didn't wear a condom and that was kind of not fun for me. Um, because up and prep didn't exist at this point. And like, so, prep, um, by the way, for everybody being the anti HIV preventative medication, you can take that is almost as effective, if not as effective as condoms at preventing HIV. If taken regularly, just I'm your little like colleague glossary over here. Yeah. But not other SCI. So, <laughs> um, correct. Yeah. Don't take prep and be like, I'm free from syphilis. Nope. <laughs> so the big things to worry about, honestly, are hep C, which is expensive as fuck to cure if you get it. And a few other things you'd like, obviously, but anyway, that's neither here nor there. Continue your story. Metrico. Thank you. Thank you. No, it's good to put, it's good to have Kali interruptions because I'm just like, let me tell you about the time I was basically date raped, um, which is actually what it was. Um, and so that that was a miserable encounter. He lived in uh, an old motel that was converted into student housing, and he just smoked inside. It was like concrete walls that were painted over, and everything just smelled of smoke. And he took me out to dinner at a steak and shake, which is right next to his place. And I was like, I don't want you to pay, but then he paid. And then at that point, I'm like, well, fuck, we're basically committed at this point. <laughs> and <laughs> and it was it was a really just negative experience. Um I remember after he finished, he kind of rolled over and I went into the bathroom to clean up and I came out and he was like you're still here. And I'm like, "Oh, okay. Well, um at least I got a milkshake out of this, I guess." Um and I just kind of went back to my place where I did not leave the apartment for a week. <laughs> um Uh, yeah kind of like the unfortunate part was like especially at that time like it's it you didn't want to like come forward and be like yo like i'm going to report this to the police because honestly the police didn't fucking care like oh no a gay man got raped oh is that just sex for you oh so you know, I didn't really trust what yeah. the police had to say. But um, I do remember, though, the first time that I topped, I definitely was an idiot um, and went far too fast, just like you. And um, <laughs> the guy uh, was not too happy with me, and that ruined the sexy time. Um, I I had no clue about the foreplay. I didn't know that you needed to do any of it because I really... <laughs> Because I really just was experienced with like the theory and whatever porn I could get my hands on, and like they never showed like any foreplay. It was just like we're gonna kiss, I'm gonna suck, he's gonna suck, I'm gonna suck again, and then I'm gonna stick it at him. And I'm like, that's all sexes. Like it's completely like a flow chart. And I was like, check, 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 and we're good. Um, we were not good. <laughs> so. Um, like minimal amounts of lube, minimal amounts of foreplay, and it was a miserable experience for him. And I apologized, um, profusely. And then when I learned about why I did everything wrong there, I sent him a lovely letter going like, I'm sorry, I broke your butthole. <laughs> like, <laughs> please forgive me. 
Um, <laughs> and then we fucked again, and he's like, oh, that was much better. So I learned. Uh, good. I'm glad he got a good go around on the second try there. He got a happy ending out of it. What can I say? Um, <laughs> so, you know, the thing that I kind of want to point out is that my first times were not great. Like, my first times, they were memorable, but they were definitely memorable for a lot of the wrong sort of experiences, um, whether it was me not knowing what I was doing, me acting in an unsafe fashion, kind of looking for love in all the wrong places, because a lot of the guys that I met were either off of Grinder or Craigslist, and that really isn't the best idea. The guy that cried that broke up with his girlfriend, though, that was okay, Cupid, and he was a miserable person. That was not okay with me. Like, yeah, that sounds terrible. Sorry, so hard. It was sorry that both of us had such bad experiences for some of our first times. But that is pretty typical, I think, of a lot of gay people, unfortunately. Yeah, it was you know because like you know as 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 gay people you know gay men gay women, it's difficult to kind of speak about these experiences because you don't have a lot of media that's not porn where people talk about them and and. You know, with the advent of YouTube and internet streaming, you do have these sorts of channels, um, whether it's, you know, what's the safe word with AMP, or there's this uh, wonderful lesbian in Brooklyn, and I forget her name, but she does a whole bunch of, like, lesbian tips on, like, how to be a lady killer in bed, and she talks about her first times and things like that, and it's really informative, and she talks about, like, hey, so let's talk about your vagina, and here's how it's meant to work, and things of that nature. You know, but but during, you know, when we were growing up, the internet was still in infancy. We didn't have all of these fun, sexy resources. And quite frankly, for gay and lesbian individuals, um, it was all kind of fly under the cover of dark, lusty be outed, and ostracized because that shit wasn't cool. Um, I operated in a lot of places, like, super closeted because I could have been fired. And in one case, I was. And there is no recourse for me. So you had to kind of take whatever you could get, even if it was a shitty experience, and you just kind of had to move on with your life. Because if you complained about it, I mean, the police could just ignore you. They could accuse you of sex work. They could accuse you of anything because there was nothing stopping them. And that the same is true now in various formats as well. So... What's yeah, it's important? getting better, but it's still tough. And the police are still not entirely allies for all LGBT people in all places, I mean, right? So it can still be very tough. They're really not allies to many groups of people that are not like straight white men. Let's be real, <laughs> you know. Unfortunately, I mean, yeah, that's that's. I mean, look at the, the atrocious comments President Trump made to, to a group of police officers, urging them to rough up suspects, and, and then the police like laughed and cheered was yeah. like one of the most fucked up things I've seen on television in like the last year. And that's saying a lot because Trump's done a lot of fucked up shit. That has to be one of the most like dystopian things I've ever seen. Yeah. So I mean, an actual sitting president. Yeah. It's, it's, so, yeah, I guess we do have a problem there, but um, yeah, we do definitely have a problem yeah. there. But the thing is, is that having a shitty first time experience with sex is not a problem because chances are, Everybody is going to have them. Uh, real talk. Speaking the of first, first times, you may actually have some centaurum there. Like that's another thing yeah. that happens. But uh, so if that you have a shitty normal. first time, that's also normal. But real talk, most for m- most people, we'll say ninety percent of people, even higher, 
The first person you have sex with is oftentimes not the last person you're going to have sex with. The first person you have sex with is not going to be your life partner. They're not going to be your one life stand. The first person you have sex with is not going to be the best sex you have. The first person you have sex with, I mean, it's going to be terrible more than likely, especially if it's both of your first times. I mean, shit, the first time that I kissed somebody, we didn't know what we were doing. We angled the same direction and we hit our teeth against (laughs) each other. Like... We had no fucking clue. And if we couldn't get kissing down properly, how the fuck are we going to put, like, dicks inside of each other? Like, you know, so don't be, like, fucking distraught if the first time that you had any form of, like, sexual experience, it was completely miserable and awful and embarrassing because it was that way for everybody. I mean, shit, like, my first experience was awful i mean fucking gagging like trying to deep throat a dick all in one go and didn't work out for me didn't work out for him like it was it was awful we 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 did we made mistakes mistakes happened mistakes were made but (laughs) i mean i can look back on these sorts of experiences you know nearly two decades later and go oh (laughs) oh we were stupid and that's kind of the beautiful thing you know, with time, with experience, you can look back on these negative, you know, sorts of sexual um, occurrences um, and sort of laugh about them. I, I, I don't laugh about the sexual assault because that was a serious thing. But on a real talk, you know, sort of level, I learned a lot from that and learned a lot about myself and what I could go through and it helps shape who I am now because nowadays I won't tolerate that crap. I'm like, I'll get a, mm-mm. like, welcome to the world of like castration, like featuring me in a serrated kitchen knife. Like I'll play around. Cause I mean, you know, growing up, I was far more permissive of things that I should not have been. And looking back on that, I could have handled that differently. And now whenever I encounter negative situations like that, I can kind of act in a more wholly realized sort of, you know, sort of thing. So I'm not saying that that was okay, but I am saying like my Spanish tutoring time was definitely okay. (laughs) Even though it was not as experienced and wholly realized it was okay. And it's awfulness. And I learned a lot from that too. Yeah. I had better sex at like 11 and 12 years old than I did at like 18 and 19 years old, but that's fine. (laughs) That's normal, I guess. (laughs) You know, that's, that's, that's just how life is, but you know, we want, to talk, life is. we want to talk about like best practices though, because a lot of people, yes, because our, we certainly did not experience best practices and we know a lot better now. So maybe yeah. we can give people who haven't had that first time yet, a little bit of uh, advice to prevent having quite the negative experiences that we did. I mean, not, not all it was negative, but it wasn't the best, right? Yeah, we're gonna we're going to make your first time experience better by pointing out our faults, basically. Yeah. So one thing, one thing that I would say was pretty solid about all of my first time experiences, except for with my like eleven and twelve year old friend, because I mean we were kids and what the hell we didn't know we were doing doing sex, much less whatever. But like um, safer sex. So like I use a condom with both of my first partners for penetrative sex, and that's I'm proud of myself for that much at least. So the one thing I did have drilled in my head was like don't want to get HIV, wear a condom. So I did that. But you, unfortunately, didn't have quite all those wonderful condom experiences. So you had a bit more of a scare here and there with your sexual experiences, and that's really unfortunate. 
Yeah. I mean, the thing is, is that I knew that you needed to use condoms and a few of the, and, and one of those circumstances, he didn't necessarily care. Luckily, um, like everything was fine. It's I tested and retested and I've stayed negative. So like I, it was, it was a very big concern of mine because like he was, uh, he was not gentle. We'll say <laughs> so. Um, I was fairly injured and I was fairly concerned that it, the, the, the potential for me to have contracted something was a little bit higher. So, um, try to practice safer sex, try to, you know, understand a few things. So, Hey, 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 if you are underaged or you are under the age of what, 24, 26, um, and you're still on your parents' insurance, there are mandatory reporting laws in play. So let's say you're having sex and you don't want your parents to know, but you contract an STI and so you have to go to the doctor. Well, there are certain laws where your parents have to be informed as to if you're getting treatment and what you're getting treating treatment for. And so if they get, you know, a little letter saying like, hey, you know, Metrico had to come into the clinic to get a shot in the butt for syphilis they're going to have an idea what's going on. Um, that's just the way the that insurance works. They have to be notified what's going on because it's their insurance. They have to kind of sign off on these sorts of things, and they have a and right. That can to be, be a major issue if you. Yeah, right. Exactly. It's a really problematic situation. So if you're closeted, or if you're in a situation, maybe your family is super conservative and you're straight, and they don't want you having sex either, that can be a problem for you. So you want to practice safer sex. You want to be as safe as you can be and make those informed decisions. Because if you do contract something, chances are your parents are going to have some rather awkward questions. That being said, I will say that most parents might be a little bit more concerned about your overall health than they will be about the action. But but some parents can fly off the handle. Um, so use your own judgment there. Um, just, just be careful, you know, that said, um, being the safer sex advocate and the STI prevention advocate that I am as someone who literally has a doctorate in infectious disease. Uh, one thing I will say is if you ever run into the situation and you are someone who does need to get connected with resources in your local area, because you're somebody who is on your parents' insurance and you don't have a way of getting healthcare you need because you think you're having an STI scare, please personally get in touch with me and I will help you connect with resources in your local area. Uh, whether that be a free clinic or a, a clinic for homeless youth or something, there's usually something that might be available to you, something through the health department, some way of obtaining care that is not going to depend on your parents' insurance that you can then do in a, a way that's not going to out you. So because this is just an issue that's near and dear to my heart because I've had it affect me personally in some of my relationships with partners who are in that situation, um, I just really want I'll put that out there. I'm more than happy to assist you if that's your situation because it's really hard to figure out on your own. And I at least have the background in figuring out that kind of information. So like I can probably connect you with resources. So reach out to me if you need that kind of thing, if you're in that situation. But the best thing to do is obviously to not contract the STI in the first place. And the way to do that is to practice safer sex, especially with casual partners and first time partners, which obviously your first time sexual partner is going to be right. Yeah. Well, first time for you, I mean, you may not be there first time. And that's kind of the exactly. important thing. And that's, that's the kind of the point. Thing. So, 
you know, just just practice safer sex methods. We have an entire three long hour long episode on STIs and STI prevention and safer sex techniques that I would recommend you either go through the show notes or listen to. It's um, it's a good resource. I mean, Vero puts his PhD to good use, and I contribute the story of the time that I got crabs. So it's a fun time all around. Um, but, you know, beyond safer sex, there are a few other things that you need to to sort of understand. Um, Vera and I made this mistake. You need to be slow and you need to be patient. You need to not expect it to be like porn. You don't underestimate yes. your girthiness. You don't overestimate your ability to take an appendage inside of your body. Um, be slow. Be patient. Use appropriate foreplay. It's whether that might be fingering, whether that might be using your mouth parts, maybe using a toy. Just because you have the ability to take a dildo in your butt doesn't necessarily mean that you can take a cock in your butt just as simply. It's it's a different experience. You're going to be slightly nervous. You're going to be slightly tense. And and the same is true for ladies. It's... uh, if you have, if you're female bodied and you regularly, you know, have a toy or some form of an appendage that you put inside of your vagina, if it's your first time with somebody else, you want to make sure that they're going slow as well. You want to make sure that they use plenty of appropriate lube and you're nice and relaxed and you're ready to have a good time. And that's the important thing. Sex and porn sort of puts this false pretense that it's going to be an Oscar worthy level performance. And that's not ever the case. You want to sort of understand that it's meant to be fun. It's meant to be a good time. You don't need a fucking storyline of, Oh, my name's Biff and I'm the handyman. You got a problem in the back door. (laughs) Like you don't need all of that. It isn't a performance. You're there to have fun. And if you make it into the serious, overly nervous sort of experience where, you know, if you jump in the pool and like immediately you'll get over it being too cold, that doesn't work with sex. You don't jump in feet first. You take your goddamn time. So make sure that you're as relaxed and you're having as much time to devote to being in the moments and being okay, asking questions appropriate foreplay, safer sex, just, just be, you know, be good with it. Be good with yourself. Be good with your partner. Communicate and be slow. Be patient. The good news is that if you're anxious about losing your virginity, congratulations, you're here. You, the, the, the race is over. You were, you, you're, you're at, you're in the winner circle right now, honey. So cherish it, savor it. It's possibly going to be a bad time but the good news is that it's possibly a bad time for everybody else so enjoy it the thing is like you know that gets back to managing expectations right so your first time is probably not gonna be the best sex of your life there's a very good chance if you're male that you're going to come too soon like your partner might just like stroke your inner thigh and you like jizz all over the place and you're like oh my god this is so embarrassing but like that happens all the time that's totally normal like and generally speaking, it's just like, oh, let's go get ice cream and try again. And then, like, the second time goes great, right? Like, you just got to get that first one to clear the, clear the pipes. That's a very <laughs> normal experience. So if you're somebody who, like, 
prematurely ejaculates your first time, please, that's totally legit and normal. I came in like 20 seconds my first time. So like, I mean, yeah. obviously I don't have that problem now, right? So like, it's not that persisted <laughs> into adulthood. Like, you know, like, don't worry about it. So like, don't worry if that happens to you. That's normal. Um, don't like, and then don't, don't act like, oh my God, like that, the night is over. Like, realize your dick will come back. Like you're, you're rolling around somebody for the first time ever. Like you're going to get hard again. It's not a problem. So like chill, just like cuddle or like make out or like go get like ice cream legitimately, like then come back to it. It'll be fine. Um, just don't roll, go with the flow. Don't expect like the first penetration to be the best one. Don't expect like, you know, don't expect you to be able necessarily, well, one of two things might happen. You might finish way too soon. You might not get hard. You might be too anxious to get hard. You might, uh, actually be too anxious to come so you can fuck but you can't come that's also very normal these are all things that are normal for men to experience if you're a female and you're with a, a male partner to experience it's very common that you the female partner is not going to be able to come because the male doesn't know what they're doing if it's a female who who's the first time it is a lot of females don't even know how their own anatomy works because sex ed in this country sucks so it's very common for females not even to know how to come and not even to know how to make themselves come, but then it, like beyond that, not to know how to make a partner can make them come. So like there's a lot of learning and exploration and growth that's going to happen. You're not going to have amazing sex the first few times, most likely. So just be patient with that. It's going to come. It's going to get better. Um, it's going to come. It's probably the, not the best thing I could have said there, but uh, you get the idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, one thing that I always sort of caution in, in terms of, expectation management is listen (laughs) sex is always and i've said it before and i'll say it again sex is meant to be a fun sort of experience and if you're so focused on it being perfect the first time you're not going to have fun it's a lot of people on their you know wedding days they're so focused on everything going off without a hitch, like especially if it's this big fucking ceremony full of pomp and circumstance, that they're relieved that the fucking ceremony is over, the reception is over, and everybody's gone. And they realize they didn't enjoy really anything up until that point. It was more about everybody else getting a chance to celebrate, and they're just like, oh, thank fuck that's over. Don't let that be your first sexual experience. Don't let that be, you know, how you take it. It is not a Broadway production starring you and your genitals. It is an experience that you and, you know, the person you're with or the people you're with, it is an experience that all of you get to have together. And don't be ashamed if you, like, if if they're experienced and you're not, if... They've, they've been like, yeah, I've had a few sexual experiences. And you're like, this is my first. Don't 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 think that they're going to think that that's a bad thing. Truth be told, most people, when you're younger, even if you've had sex a few times, you're still rather inexperienced. It's kind of like a bicycle. You might not have training wheels, but you're still not going to win the Tour de France. So don't think that, you know, one or two times makes an Olympic athlete just have fun it's a fun thing and even if it's an awful experience sometimes the bad sort of oh wow this was awful and you can laugh about it and you can have a fun time oh hey we you made a mistake oh hey like 
we were fucking and I lost, like, I, I sort of lost balance and I fell off the bed and now I'm lying on the ground and look, my erection is sticking straight up at the ceiling. Like, these are things you can laugh at. These are things that are fun. If you make it overly serious, it's going to be even worse. So the expectation that I have is it, it's going to be awkward. It's going to be weird. You're probably going to be put in positions and you're like, wow, this is sore. This, wow, my arm's tired. Wow, my leg is falling asleep. That's fine. It happens to everybody. So just have fun with it. Be vocal. If you don't like something, change positions. If something makes you uncomfortable, say so. You don't have to be porn level where you just moan and grunt and roll your eyes and go, oh, honey. Like, that's not the way that it works. So be vocal. Talk about what you're feeling. You don't need to be like, you know, Morgan Freeman and offer an entire narrative. But if you like something, like, I like that. If you don't like something, I don't like that. Let's try something else. Make Try to keep it a positive sort of experience. And try to make it a fun experience. And don't make it a fucking Broadway show. One thing that I recommend is you save your first time for somebody that you know and you trust. I kind of made that mistake um, of not doing that. I mean, I, I fucking had... I, I mean, fucking... Somebody I met in Spanish class and I knew for two weeks. Like, we didn't know each other that very well. We got along. We were class friends. We texted once or twice. But, like, it wasn't somebody that I really knew. I could have gone to his house and it could have been, like, a fucking massacre. I don't know. So, save it for somebody that you know. Save it for a trusted friend, a potential partner. You know, even if they're not the love of your life. Save it for somebody that you know and can trust that... Even if it's a fucking failure, like, you have to abort the launch sequence for whatever reason, they're not going to be like, oh, well, you're a failure. Save it for somebody that, that, you know, you would invite over to your place, maybe, to spend the night. Don't just be, you know, like, kind of I was, and let it be somebody that you barely know, or go on to Grindr or Craigslist, because oftentimes... There are people that will act in a predatory fashion towards you for being inexperienced, and they will try to get you to do things that um, you may not want to, but because you may not know better, you'll go along with it. So save her for somebody that you know and can be totally vulnerable about, because let's be real, sex is kind of the most vulnerable you're going to be, because somebody's looking at your butthole. So... Now... There is an alternative to this. And, you know, it's something that I have experience in, um, having done sex work that I did, and that's you can hire a sex worker. Yeah, that's the thing. So, I mean, in our experience, and I'll talk about this for a second too, it's like, please do. My regret is like, I, I, just, I just wanted to get my sex out of my system, right? And looking back, I wasn't really aware of like sex workers being a thing, but. What I was really looking for was a sex worker. I wanted somebody where I could just pick them out and be confident that I was going to get a first-time experience, get to try a bunch of things, and kind of not feel anxious about performing, right? And that's what a sex worker can offer you. So if you hire a sex worker, that's a person whose basically job is to basically, you write the script, they follow it, you get to try whatever you want to try, they're there to indulge you, they're not there to judge you, 
they can actually critique you. So you can say, hey, how am I doing? What could I do better? And sex workers actually can, are very good at saying, oh, well, you know, you could try this. or Oh, it really feels good when you do that. So like a sex worker is an amazing person to have a first time with if you're looking for an education in sex because they're literally professionals at sex, right? Like if you're, if you're working with a good sex worker, they know what they're doing and they also know how to teach you to do things that will make them feel good that you can then take into your first actual sexual relationship with the person who you're romantically connected to, right? Yeah. So I, I'm somebody who's very sex positive and also I'm very sex worker positive because I think sex workers are awesome people and you're a former sex worker and you can speak well, to this no. personally. Um, like that's a great, like I, that's a great, way to lose a virginity honestly it's much better yeah. than the way i did it uh, and so if you're not going to do it with the love of your life or somebody you're romantically connected to a sex worker is probably a better choice than a grinder hookup or a craigslist ad right yeah i mean there's without without speaking of my former clients too much i will say that there are certainly people who asked me to be their first time because a i'm experienced and b because it's somebody that they feel that they can trust. Like, hey, you're not going to like randomly beat me up. Probably you're somebody that knows what you're doing. And if there, there's this idea of it being like a contractual transaction where the second that they basically hire you, you're basically there to be a teacher you're there to be a mentor and you're there to give them a good time. So there's this unspoken sort of agreement that happens where if they're not having a good time, well, that's bad because they've paid you to have a good time. So it's your obligation to ensure that their first time is as positive as possible. So with me, a lot of what I would do was just like, Hey, this is what this is. And this is what that is. And sort of, you know, opening the hood of the car, so to speak, and saying, well, this is how this works. And that is how that works. And we can go slow. We're going to make this fun. And we're going to make this relaxed. And you don't have to be nervous and you don't have to be scared. You're going to have a good time. And my clients had a good first time and they became more, you know, permanent clients will say, because they enjoyed having that experience. And then when they got their own partners, they stopped soliciting my services and that's fine because that's the nature of the business, yeah. but they went into their next sort of sexual encounters, feeling a little bit more confident, a little bit more informed. And some of them reached out to me and thanked me because they're like, yeah, my new partner, like the fuck their, their, their mind is fucking blown. I'm just like, I told you that banana trick worked. I told you it worked practicing that dick sucking with a banana. That's right. So the goal of a sex worker is to make you feel good. And if it's your first time, that's a good way to go. I obviously am very pro sex worker. I think that sex workers are, should be legalized within the U S and they should be less stigmatized and, People shouldn't be ashamed of if they've done sex work in the past. I mean, obviously I have, and maybe that jades my experience a little bit, but it's, it's a way to go. I would recommend that you, I, I almost would say, I wouldn't say use that as a last resort, but the issue is, is that with sex work that can be somewhat riskier just in terms of getting it set up. So 
Um, well, the reason being that a virgin doesn't know how to screen a sex worker very well, that's and that's correct. the problem, right? So yeah. I would recommend almost against that, um, unless you have somebody or know somebody in your life that understands how that works and can kind of set you off. Help you find somebody and connect. Yeah. To exactly. Yeah. Because yeah. you want somebody experienced finding the connection there. Because, I mean. We're the type of people, you and I, Metrico, who uh-huh. would be able to screen a sex worker and kind of figure out whether they're legit or not because yeah. we've got experience with that world, right? But like right. the everyday average guy who's like, oh, I'm trying sex for the first time, like you don't know it's like a scam or like a police sting or like whatever. Who knows what the hell you're walking right. into, right? Like you got to be able right. to figure those things out. So, so, but it is an option. It is an option that carries different risks. Uh, and it's something that you should educate yourself on before you proceed in that field. That being said, sex workers are humans as well, and they are not there for you to mistreat. So if it is, if you opt to go that direction, you don't get to berate a sex worker, you don't get to denigrate a sex worker, and you don't get to treat them as if they're your bitch. You might be paying them for a good time, but unless it is agreed on that you get to denigrate them, you don't get to do that out of random. They are people. They have lives. They're not your sex toys. And, and last point on sex work, um, keep in mind that in many jurisdictions, sex work is illegal. And so if that sort of thing is illegal in your area, you want to be very careful not to get caught in any kind of uh, you know police and entrapment situations where because stings for Johns are very common. A lot of, especially in Seattle where I'm from right now, and I know New York is doing this too, there's a lot of uh, client-side prosecution happening where Basically, people are choosing not to prosecute the sex workers because the sex workers are seen, seen as victims of exploitation. But there's a lot of effort to prosecute the uh, patrons or the johns who visit the sex workers. So in that situation, you want to be very careful that you're not violating local laws. And uh, fortunately, in many jurisdictions, escorting is actually a perfectly legitimate legal thing to do, so long as you're making sure that what you're paying for is the individual's time and not any particular sexual act or a particular yep. sexual encounter. So as long as what's happening sexually is between two consenting adults during time that you happen to have compensated them for, that is kind of a gray area legal way of getting around it. Uh, but you have to be very careful in the language you use and just keep that in mind that paying for sex is illegal. So you never offer money a quid pro quo where you're offering money in exchange for a sex act because that is very, very illegal in the United States, right? Uh, in most places, there are certain... Most places. Yeah, so maybe you save it for Las Vegas. I don't know. But escorts, that would be if... How to say, if I were to advise you, that would be the area that I would advise you to look and look for. Escorting services, look, escort. look for reputable escort services that have um, that are highly rated, that have a lot of business, a lot of options to choose from, and understand how entrapment laws work. Just because you ask somebody if they're a cop does not mean that they have to answer truthfully. That is not how entrapment works. That is not how any of that works itself. Um, so Also, most uh, legit escorts that are made that might cost a bit more, but are probably worth your money. Uh, legitimate escorts tend to have a social media pre- presence, and many of them moonlight as pornog- pornography stars, right? So um, look for escorts who actually have a an existence, like, elsewhere, where you're like, hey, this guy escorts under the name, like, Feisty Mike. Okay, I'm going to go to FeistyMikeXXX.com and look up some of his porn clips, and I'm going to see that he's a legit porn star. And also, oh, look, he's got a... a my- 
um, feisty Mike XXX Twitter account where he's been posting for over two years. He's clearly not a cop, yeah. right? He's like an actual guy, right? So like yeah. that's the situation where, you know, look for that kind of social verification of this person's identity to make sure you're not talking to a cop who's trying to get you on, you know, like child, some, like cops really prosecute sex crimes uh, aggressively because what they're really looking for is people who are being trafficked, sexually yeah. trafficked. And the thing is, a lot of prosecutors don't understand the difference between a, you know, a like 16-year-old girl from Russia who's been sexually trafficked and like a 21-year-old rent boy who's like like working his way through like Columbia University and like just wants to like make some extra coin, right? I think that's a very different type of like sex work situation, but the like, law doesn't really see those as being so different. So yeah. you just have to be cautious of that and be aware that there are a lot of really um, aggressive uh, DAs out there who are really looking to get people for exploiting sex workers, even though in many cases it's not really an exploitative relationship if it's being done correctly. But again, convincing a DA of that is maybe not the easiest thing to do. Yeah. So approach with your own approach with caution, use your own judgment and it wasn't super obvious on for decriminalizing sex work. That should be pretty obvious by now, but yeah, yeah. decriminalize that shit. That's stupid. Yeah. <laughs> Why is it legal? Why is it legal to do if no money changes hands or if I, if I film it, but not legal to do if money changes hands and I don't film it. What that makes no weird, fucking sense. What a weird sort of thing. And I mean, again, I can understand, <laughs> you know, given my backgrounds, um, given my childhood, we'll say I can understand that. And I do agree that there are certainly a, a lot of, cases where severe exploitation occurs however use your judgments maybe ay, ay, ay. it's such a fucking mess but yeah please decriminalize legitimate sex work and you know only go after like the actual cases of abuse don't go after the fucking 22 year old go-go dancer twink that's just trying to pay rent like come on so <laughs> yeah but uh, it's an option. Um, it's not maybe the option that I would 100% recommend, but sometimes you have to go outside of your own garden in order to bloom. So, you know, but, but, but those are just some best practices, some ideas, some tips, some hints, and some bad stories from how we had first times. It's, uh, <sighs> God, first times are embarrassing, but they're kind of fun to talk about. Uh, I feel like everybody has a horror story or two or 10 and that, that kind of makes it a little bit more fun to discuss because at the end of the day, you know, everybody is, is no matter where you are now, everybody starts somewhere. And that's why it's sometimes as dangerous to try to compare yourself to like, I want to be like, you know, a fucking porn star. You're not going to start out there. You're not going to like take off your pants and wham, bam, look at you. You're, you know, Ron Jeremy and you're a sex God and everybody wants you. You're going to probably have a very terrible first time, but the good news, we all did the good news. You can call us, you could write us about them and we can all enjoy and laugh about it together because sex is not serious enough to not laugh at like really it's not bad experiences where like consensually just awful just it's fun you know so if you want to share your first time experiences and how you made mistakes and how it's embarrassing write us 
I'm more than happy to monologue. I can do a freaking bonus episode one week where it's just me monologuing and sharing all of your experiences. So feel free to share them with us and let everybody know that they're not alone. That first time experiences more often than not are just kind of crappy, but it gets better. (laughs) Uh, But we're going to move on to some feedback that we have some feedback on our previous episode about fursuits. Um, And actually one of our questions touches on that as well, but we'll get to that in a second. Um, This is regarding fursuit care and cleaning. And this is from our friend uh, metric Foxton, who I mentioned in the episode, uh, because I think that the outfits that he designs are hella cool and cute. Um, And he writes, hello, thank you so much for doing an episode on suits. I really appreciate whenever anyone can cover fursuit care as a topic. It is a thing we suitors need to be very diligent about. To that end, I'd like to add a few more tips to help fuzzies keep their suits fresh. You mentioned a lot of great tips about keeping the outside of your suit clean, but the inside is just as important. Your skin has a lot of nasty stuff on it that can eat away at the backing of your fur. That's why most suitors I know, A wear an underlayer inside of their suit, and B, spray down the insides with a solution of 70% isopropyl alcohol as soon as they get out. If someone is mer-suiting, they may not put on an underlayer at all, and that makes spraying down the insides even more important. Secondly, there there actually are times when it is recommended to blow-dry a suit. Applying heat to dry out a suit is a great way to ruin it, but controlled blow-drying can help straighten out fur strands that have gotten too matted or curly. Matrices has a wonderful breakdown on how to do it on our website, and we include the link within our show notes. Metric cannot stress enough that matrices.net is a treasure trove of information for care and maintenance of fursuits. Lastly, I'm glad you like my outfits. Thanks again for another topic well done. I would recommend um, if you are going to use a hairdryer, you get one that is heat controlled where you can control the level of heat. And they're all, they're really good hairdryers for the record that just blow air and it's not heated. Um, and that can also help in drying things out and if you're trying to comb things out. But um, definitely matrices.net if you're interested in how to take care of a suit, how to clean a suit, general upkeep. It's a great, great website, and I would highly recommend it. And the link to um, a, an article on how to use a heated blow dryer to repair faux fur is included in our show notes. So definitely check that out. Um, thanks again, Metric, for your feedback and for additional information. It's always good to have um, a multitude of fursuiters um, write in and give us their inputs. But we are going to move on to some questions. The first one is a rather long question, so uh, but it's an important one. It's how do I tell off my clingy X submissive? Um, the questioner asks uh, and writes in, In January of 2016, I started a mostly online relationship with a guy I met on Fur Affinity. We had a few interests in common, such as sci-fi, furries, and bondage, and we are both autistic and lived in the same state, although he was over two hours away. Once I gave him my phone number, he started calling me daily to dump all of his problems on me, and I'd mostly just say, uh-huh, or yeah, for 20 minutes at a time. Over the next six months, he seemed to be getting increasingly obsessed with me, giving me random art pieces. He had a hobby of designing spaceships and fan characters for various popular sci-fi franchises, and he named several after me before I told him it was making me feel awkward, and even then he gave me a couple more after that before I reminded him. 
He was talking about moving in together the instant he convinced me to give him his phone number. Uh, Specifically, he wanted me to move to a small town, supposedly because he would lose his uh, social security insurance if he moved to another county, which I later discovered wasn't true, though he could simply have been mistaken about that fact. While my job was in the capital of the uh, state, and most of the jobs I was looking at were there too, um, we spent a con together and met a couple of other times in person, entire weekends due to the distance, and he didn't know how to drive, while I hated driving on highways. We had some bondage gear, so we did some play. He subbed and clearly enjoyed it, but doming him was only a little bit of fun for me, and getting put in a street jacket it wasn't appealing at all for me, either. After a couple of months, I realized that I did not find him attractive. Uh, maybe he could be a friend, but he was too clingy and codependent on me to accept him as a partner. But I kept the relationship up for months because he had a history of depression and I was worried he might try to kill himself if I dumped him. After we spent a weekend together in July of 2016, I told him we were breaking up. When he was done crying, he sucked me off one last time like he was trying to change my mind, but it didn't work. We tried to remain just friends for six months after the breakup. We both went to that convention again, although we were in separate bedrooms. At one point, he asked me to tie him up, supposedly to help him calm down, but once he was bound, he asked if we could get back into a dom-sub relationship, which I didn't think was a good idea, and I shot it down immediately. We went home and haven't seen each other since, but he kept on calling me with his problems every few days, until one night I decided I couldn't deal with his bullshit and refused his call. He then had a meltdown over text and was convinced that I was ending our friendship and unfollowed me on all the sites we were in contact on. Then a couple weeks ago, he started PMing me on FA again, asking if I wanted to be friends again, but he gave the impression that he was still carrying a torch for me. He offered to draw me a yuffie picture of my fursona, some sort of an apology, but I told him I didn't. he did not owe me anything, as I blamed myself for not breaking it off before he got to attach to me. A few days later, he sent me another private message, stating explicitly, Do you ever regret ending the friendship? This confused me, as while I'd ended our romantic relationship, it seemed to me like he'd been the one to call off the friendship. But I don't think I can be friends with someone who's so clearly mooning over me, even though he denied it. How do I tell him off without making him too upset at this point? Oh, and there's just one last thing to consider. I'd never really been that interested in pursuing a relationship. When I saw him put up a journal asking if there were any gay doms in our state, I answered mostly out of curiosity. While he seems to have that notion that you need to have a partner to be complete, if I'd known that earlier, I probably wouldn't have tried dating him in the first place. Okay, so I think the issue here is kind of just like, you know, you just need to end it like just be just direct like very direct like you're you're, you're kind of leading this person on even though you're kind of claiming like you're not um or trying not to they're clearly carrying a torch for you it's not really clear what your objective with this person other than kind of placating them or not and not wanting to confront the fact that it's going to be a tough conversation when you say hey i'm not interested in any romantic relationship with you period and you just need to be really direct and upfront with that conversation and say hey I appreciate you as a friend, but I have no interest in you romantically or sexually and never will. And if you'd like to accept a friendship with me, you'll have to wall off those aspects of our connection because that that doesn't exist for me. I'm not interested in that with you. I'm sorry if that hurts your feelings, but I can't change what I desire and what what I'm into. And I just don't feel that way for you. And that's going to be a tough conversation, but it's one you need to have in order to pursue this person in any way as a friend or otherwise Otherwise, you really just need to be distancing yourself from this person because 
leading them on just by kind of existing in their life and letting them live in false hope is really not good for either of you. And it sounds like from the fact that you're writing into us, it's not good for you either. You won't be writing into an advice column if you were happy with the situation. So you need to stop leading this person on, either cut them out of your life or at least have the hard conversation where you tell them, hey, I'm not interested. Do you want to stay friends or not? Yeah, I agree entirely. Honestly, it sounds to me that, you know, from from the questioner, sort of the language that he uses, it sounds like he could go either way, you know, do you want to be, do you want to be friends with this person? If so, you need to have that difficult conversation. And it sounds like you've tried in the past, but he sort of has glossed over it. He's tried to find new ways. And if you want to be friends with this person, you have to cut off any form of sexual play that includes, Hey, can you tie me down? No, the answer is no. Hey, do you want it? The answer is no. <laughs> Honestly, you would be better suited maybe having minimal to no conversation that happens in a one-on-one fashion for some time. By keeping things public, by keeping things in a group setting, it might help for him to understand that he doesn't necessarily get to monopolize your time in a romantic sense. And because he sort of attributes the monopolization of your time in a romantic sense having these one-off conversations could be sort of prolonging the burning of this torch that he's carrying for you. Honestly, it sounds to me that you you have two options. You either cut him out entirely or you cut him out partially. And it becomes the, the burden is on him from that point. Every time that he's like, Hey, should we get back together? If the answer is no, you need to see like, there's, like Taylor Swift him, we are never ever ever getting back together again. Like you can you can be you could be swifty with him, it's completely fine. Don't go out of your way to be malicious. Don't say you're a fucking terrible clingy bastard and I want nothing to do with you. Just say if you don't want to continue up a friendship or an association with him, just say, I think that, you know, unfortunately we being friends is equally as difficult for both of us as it was being in a relationship and you don't want to argue about semantics you don't want to be like well i was the one that ended the relationship but you're the one that ended it's it's all irrelevant figure out what you want what what do you want because you're asking how do you tell him off without making him too upset at this point quite frankly that's not really your burden to bear you have to state your point clearly how do you tell him off hi in order to be my friend, you can't just dump all of your bullshit on me. You can't keep asking me to get back into a relationship with you. And quite frankly, you need to have your own additional friends. I can't be your only friend your go-to because unfortunately that's not working for us. And if you can't do that, then we can't be friends. You have to just have your own emotional boundaries and you need to enforce them. And if he refuses to acknowledge and he refuses to stay within those emotional bounds, then unfortunately you need to say, listen, it's not working and you need to move on with your life. That's just the unfortunate nature of being friends with exes. Sometimes it doesn't work out. Other times it works out beautifully. In my experience, the way that this story is going, the way that this individual is acting, I don't know if that friendship is sustainable. And Unfortunately, that happens. So just kind of determine, try to do your best to 
not be a dick. Try your best to just be as plain and clear as possible. You don't have to sugarcoat things. You don't have to beat around the bush. Just be direct, be honest, and the rest tends to come. But unfortunately, it's not your burden to bear his emotional sort of viewpoint. You've already been through that. You've already lessened it. You've already broken up with him. It is up to him from this point on to sort of deal with his own emotional bullshit. And that's just the way that it works. You can try to set him up. If he has like other friends, you can sort of advise them. You can talk to them to make sure that he has a support network. But if he is being an over overly negative you know, burden and an impact on your life, Sometimes you have to move on and you can't move on with him sort of weighing you down like baggage. So good luck. Um, those are difficult situations to be in. I've been in them before and it's, it's a difficult sort of burden that you have to bear on an individual level, but sometimes you just have to cut it out. We're going to move on to our second question though. Um, the questioner writes with the subject of starting out. Help! Um, hi guys, I'm a mid-twenties single pansexual female on the East Coast. I am a brand new listener. I heard Vero on Dan Savage's podcast, and I had to check you guys out because this is a new world for me. I've always found the erotici- eroticization of animal traits to be quite hot, but I just felt shame for it. I thought I was a freak until I heard Vero's Lovecast feature. I was vaguely aware of the furry community. I had a friend in high school who had a fursona and did cosplay stuff, but I never asked her about it, and I didn't realize that there was a sexual component. I've listened to two of your podcasts so far, and I tend to listen to more, but I just wanted to ask if there was a resource you could recommend to someone just getting interest in the fandom. Or maybe you could recommend specific episodes of yours. Uh, Looking for info on what things mean, I was furiously Googling during the podcast. uh, Community etiquette, how to find partners willing to play with a beginner, free or reasonably priced furry porn, and anything else a curious beginner may need to know. Also, do any women mer suit? I realize that you are both gay men, but I was a little disappointed that there is no info about mer suiting for women. Is that not a thing? In the previous episode, you seem to give much more inclusive advice on other things. Thanks so much. So I think, honestly, you've given us a great idea for a future episode where we do an intro to the fandom, which we probably should do, actually, from from our perspective, right, Metrico? Uh, We probably should do that episode at some point. Yeah, it's... um, But I think, honestly... Yeah, like that's, that's actually a good, great a topic idea. We haven't done that topic specifically, but you will glean from some of our shows, specifically the Non-Monogamy 101 episode, which is actually episode three of our podcast. We did that one a long, long time ago. But that one's kind of an overarching kind of like our opinion on how to navigate the fandom sexually in a nutshell. So you might find that one super useful. Um, beyond that, uh, as far as like where to find furry porn and furry, like connecting with furries for the first time, I strongly recommend getting uh, into furry Twitter, where you meet a lot of really friendly furries who can give you a lot of friendly advice. So to set up a Twitter account and look for furries on Twitter, and you'll be able to find them very easily and kind of see who, who they follow. Look up some of the furry conventions and look up their Twitter accounts, and you'll see a bunch of furries follow them. Just start randomly following furries. And somebody will probably, it's a very friendly community. Somebody will take up a conversation with you. You can say, hey, I'm just getting involved. Can you get, give me some tips? It, it, you'll, you'll be amazed at how friendly people are. It's, it's a wonderful, welcoming community. It's we're super awesome. Like I, I'm proud of the community that way. Like that's something I'm really proud of. The free fandom handles like welcoming newcomers. It's not at all like oh you're a noob, get away from us. That's not at all how the fandom works. Yeah. We're super welcoming. 
So, like, please, like, we just had a random lawyer join the fandom. Like, he, like, randomly wrote a piece about furries, and, like, a couple months later, he was, like, the guest of honor at, like, one of the biggest conventions, and it's, like, now a furry, and has, like, a fursuit. Like, this stuff happens. So, like, people, like, the fandom's, like, we're just a bunch of, like, nerds who like partying and wearing fursuits. It's a great time. But, um, yeah, it's, it's a totally welcome community. You'll get involved very easily. Furry Twitter is a great way to go. Um, I'm Vero Psycholly on Twitter. Like you can follow me and follow people I follow, and you'll get involved very quickly. It's, it's awesome. That's how I got involved in the furry fan for the. It's just for, through furry Twitter. That's that's actually my first presence was furry Twitter. Um, Twitter is like I think I pretty much furries are the only people who use Twitter at this point, so it just kind of works out well. Um, <laughs> it's, it's furries great. and share <laughs> at this point. <laughs> Yeah, I know. Um, so that's great. Um, but as far as like where to find cheap free the free porn, that's not commissioned of your own character, should pretty much always be free. Like unless you're paying for like a comic or something, like that's different. But like if you're just looking to, for images, there's tons and tons and tons of free stuff all over the place. Websites you're gonna want are Fur Affinity. Uh, you can look Fur Affinity. You also look up E six two one. You can look up uh, Ink Bunny. Uh, there's a Furry Network. There's all these websites. These are all art sites that post tons and tons of art. Uh, so Furry is another mm-hmm. one. There's also Furry Erotica available at these websites. You'll find tons of material. It's amazing. It's all tagged. It's all searchable. Uh, it's wonderful. Um, it's all free. Uh, some of it might require an account just to verify age in order to access, but that's all it requires. There's no paying for anything. It's great. So that's a, a wonderful uh, way to, to do that. And the uh, one other thing I'll mention is like in terms of uh, connecting with people willing to play with a beginner, people find beginners super hot. So the problem is not finding people willing to play with a beginner. It's finding somebody willing to play with a beginner who's not a piece of shit. So make sure that you're <laughs> connected. That's, that's why I recommend connecting with furry Twitter because the advantage is if you find somebody who wants to play with you on furry Twitter, you then will have a network of individuals who they're connected to who you can then talk and say, hey, so-and-so wants to play with me. What do you think of so-and-so? Have you met so-and-so? Is so-and-so a good bu- guy? Have you played with so-and-so? What was your experience with so-and-so? So that's why you want to have that network, because you don't want to play with people who you don't know from Adam. It's not really a particularly safe thing to do. But the wonderful thing about playing with people in the fandom is if you pick somebody out from After Dark Twitter, which is where people maintain yeah. uh, their, their After Dark sexual side, and we do have an episode devoted to After Dark furry etiquette, so please look up that episode if you want to get involved with the After Dark side of furry Twitter. But the great thing about that is that there's a social network effect where let's say that somebody wants to connect with me for sex and they don't trust me. Well, they can see that I like, you know, and who I interact with on AD Twitter and can say, Hey, it looks like you interact with this Vero guy. What do you think of him? And there's not, people are totally open to that. Like if you ask somebody, Hey, I'm thinking of playing with so-and-so like this looks like you've maybe played with him in the past. Did you have a good time? Like that's a perfectly legit thing to ask. And I would have no problem like talking up if i had a great time with somebody i'm gonna say oh yeah they're awesome i had a great time with them you should totally play with them if they're and if it's not somebody i had a good time with i'll probably say oh i don't really feel comfortable answer like you're probably gonna answer like, oh, i don't really feel comfortable answering that right in that case you kind of oh maybe that's not somebody i want to be eh, maybe I so if you get getting one of those might not be disqualifying but if you get oh i don't feel comfortable talking about that person from like six or seven people and maybe you're thinking, oh, maybe maybe that's not somebody I want to play with for the first time, right? So, like, it's nice to be able to have that because it kind of gives you an additional check of maybe, you know, do I really want to commit to doing things with this person or not? Having that social network available to you can be really, really useful. So that's why I strongly encourage your first point of contact being a free social network like free Twitter because then you've got that ability to kind of vet people. And that's really great to do. 
And I mean, like, the good part about the fandom is, like, in order to be a member, you just have to kind of be a member. Like, there's no kind of overarching requirements in order to be part. You don't need to be an artist. You don't need to be an author. You don't need to be a musician. You just need to be. So your level of involvement is only limited by what you want your level of involvement to be. Um, There's no need to buy a fursuit. There's no need to create a character. There's no need to have a full fursona. Like, your involvement is what you want it to be. And that's kind of what's beautiful about it because there's no past, like, most fandoms, and I've mentioned this before, things like Star Wars, Harry Potter, Twilight, the, you know, Super Who Lock. You, you have to understand the the universe that these characters come from. You have to understand their characters and past events and the lore. That doesn't exist here within the fandom. And that's kind of a beautiful thing because it is what you want it to be. Um, and standard general etiquette is just like, how do you want to be interacted with? There's no sort of like, as long as you're just acting like yourself and respectful, that pretty much is it. It's um, just like you wouldn't necessarily go up to somebody in a bar to be like, hey, those are nice shoes. Do you want to fuck? Um, you wouldn't just create like a Twitter account and just be like, hey, who wants to f- who wants to bang? Like you don't at people on Twitter and just say, you want to fuck? You've never met me and this is crazy. Um, that sort of thing. If you're interested in learning more about, like, the, I would say, like, what is, like, the fandom, things like a glossary, things of that nature, right? So I do know that um, our friend uh, Mythic, uh, Mythical Red Fox on YouTube, has a pretty good what is the fandom sort of thing. Um, but the good news is that if you're, if you don't know what a term means, um, we do have, like, a Wikipedia, Wikifer, that goes through, like, what different acronyms and different terminologies and some of the memes that we have uh, mean. But the good news is you can always just ask. It's, I mean, asking people is a great way in the fandom to not only build connections, but to grow that kind of base knowledge. It's, uh, as Vera said, it's a very welcoming, friendly sort of community where people can just be themselves. And that's what really attracts me to it. One thing uh, to, to answer your second question, though, about female mercuding. So let me just kind of explain the back story of the, the whole thing. So if we say that a small percentage of the fandom has a, has a fursuit, well, we'll say a conservative estimate is we'll say 25 to 30%. That's fairly conservative and has a fursuit in some part, whether that's a head, a bodysuit, things of that nature. Of that 20%, almost 5 to 10% have a mersuit. So it is a percentage of a percentage. Now, if we break down the fandom in terms of sex and gender, so 72% of hers um, are male-sexed, whereas 27% are female-sexed, and then two-tenths of a percent will be intersexed. And this is as of a 2016 study. Um, in terms of gender, 67% identifies masculine, 23% identifies feminine, and then 10% identifies genderqueer or non-binary. So the vast majority of individuals identify as male sex and masculine gendered. When it comes to fursuiting, it's a lot of men that have the, the fursuits. And so 
the MERS suits also tend to apply towards that as well. That's just unfortunate, the, the laws of averages. However, there are definitely female MERS suits. I've seen them. They exist. They're beautiful. Female yeah. suiting in is... In terms of like the way they construct, it's pretty similar. Like you just have a front yeah. zip, generally speaking. The options you might... The only thing that might be different is for some female suiters, they might choose to have the zips connect so that you actually have a zip loose all the way back so that you can be penetrated anally or vaginally. And so that's an option. But for most female suiters, they might have just a slightly enlarged front zip so that they can be penetrated in the suit. And then the cleanup might be a bit messier because vaginal penetration tends to involve more secretions and there tends to be more moisture down there during vaginal penetration. So, like, yeah, they tend to clean the suit more thoroughly afterwards. But, like, it's otherwise very similar. Um, so we didn't really go into it just because there's not a whole lot of difference and there's also just not a whole lot of them in, like, that happens. But, like, more power to you if you want to be a female mercer. Like, we need more. We need more. We need you. The fandom needs you. We need more female mercers. I'm totally down for that. Being a... I mean, frankly, being a bisexual furry, this is maybe speaking selfishly, but yes, we need more female more suitors by all means. Yes. So, um, <laughs> is it a thing? It's just, yes, it is. speaking, um, the, the preparation. Believe me, you'll be popular. If you're a female mercy, you'll be a very popular individual. It's um, just in terms of like what I've been able to sort of see through experience, through research. Um, most female more suitors, they will just have the, the, longer zip that's both for bathroom access and also for um having all sexual orifices accessible um i do see most females when they do any kind of mer sitting they just have the the head um and that's to allow access to the breasts because very rarely in fact I, i'll say i'll never i have never seen a mer suit that has a zip so it allows for like breast access um so <laughs> most of the time i see um just wearing a head and the rest is, um, you know, kind of just human flesh. And it's kind of nice to see that. And it still gives that fantasy to a lot of people. Um, but if you want to do it in full suit, it's typically just a longer zip than you would see for a male bodied fursuit. Um, and again, that's to allow access to, um, to allow for easier bathroom access and also to, um, allow, access to both the vagina and the, the, you know, anus. So, um, and it's also to allow for more positions because if you have a bigger zip, then you have a little bit of an easier stance ability. Um, because if you just had like a smaller front zip, then that would really kind of limit you to just missionary. So, um, that's kind of what you would be looking for. Does it exist? Yes. Um, it exists for, um, male on female sex, female on female sex. Um, and it's, um, another popular thing that you see for females that are interested in pegging. You'll see a female, um, in a fursuit, just wear a strap on on the outside of the suit. And that's how they'll get into pegging. Or if they're with another female, that's how they'll, uh, do penetration with, um, a toy. That's a strap on in that way. Um, but again, it's I, I wouldn't say that it's rare, but I will say that it is uncommon to run into. Um, but the standard care methods are the same. Avoid getting um, any kind of liquids like lube onto the fur. Avoid, if you get bodily fluids, just kind of wipe them off with a damp cloth. Make sure that you practice the standard care that the fursuit maker gives to you and hang it out to dry. That's pretty much it. So... It's the same thing. It does happen. It's the reason that we didn't discuss it is um, because 
it's uncommon enough to unfortunately have been glossed over. That was an error on our part. Um, but thank you. We for- fucked up. We should have been marked this in there. So thank you for calling yeah. us out for that. That was a yeah, fun so, Thank you. Yeah. But if you have questions about anything in the fandom again, you can add the show. It's our Twitter account is at FeralAttractFM. And if you can't remember that, you can visit our contact page, which is uh, feralattraction.com. Speaking of that contact page, it's the best way to get into touch with us, just like you did. So thank you very much for reaching out to us. I'm glad that you found our content. And again, any questions you have, feel free to hit us up. It's um, I think it's fair to say, to say, especially after this episode, we are without shame. And that's a beautiful thing. So... If you have questions, if you have comments, if you have feedback, if you have your own first time experience that you want me to read on the show, hit us up on our contact page, fairlattraction.com forward slash contact. Next week, we're going to talk about underwear and sex party etiquette. This kind of is a more advanced level of etiquette. At a lot of fur cons, there are parties that happen, underwear parties, sex parties. How do you act at them? How do you behave in them? What is proper etiquette? What is bad etiquette? What is bad manner? How do you get invited to them? What happens if you're never getting invited to them? We're going to talk about them. <laughs> and it's going to be a fun time. It's I know that you, Vero, at a lot of... Um, sorry to lift the veil and call you out for this, but a lot of uh, fur cons that you go to, you do have underwear <laughs> and potentially sex parties. So... I, I have been known to host them, so yes, it's kind of my a uh, little bit of my uh, wheelhouse. But we've gotten the question a lot, like, hey, Vera, I've heard a lot about your underwear parties. How do those work? Well, we'll do a show on that, and that's yeah. next week. So if you have questions, get them in now. Um, please note that questions are, hey, Vero, can I get an invite? We'll go ignored. <laughs> that's not ex- if you want to be one of our higher tier Patreon uh, donors, we can talk. <laughs> Speaking of our Patreon, if you'd like to if you'd like to cash in your perk of visiting me and hang out with me while I happen to be in my underwear at an underwear party, we can talk. That's that is a possibility, but that does have to you know work out time wise. <laughs> but uh, you know, it's good that you bring up your Patreon because that is one of the ways that you can help us out. It's um, we we do always ask for you to leave a rating and a review on iTunes in the Google Play Music Store because that helps out visibility and rankings. And it helps other people find our content, especially if they do not have the luxury of having the Savage Love Magnum subscription. But another way that you can help is through our Patreon. We have different tiers, one of which I guess now is apparently attend an underwear party with Vero, potentially. I don't know. I'll let you work that out, Vero. But one of our other tiers is that we give shoutouts at the end of every show. It's, um... One of our patrons who has that tier is Miss Hyde. Miss Hyde is participating in a streak for tigers around the London Zoo on the 10th of August. That's a week away, everybody. If you'd like to know how to support her running around the zoo naked and fundraising to protect tigers in the wild, then you can find details about this on Twitter. The Twitter account to follow for this is at Sparks at Sparks. Please visit our contact uh, our uh, show notes page. Please go to that Twitter. I've tweeted about it. I think it's fabulous. I want to see more people running naked through the zoo because this does support tigers in the wild, which are a protected and endangered species. And it is important that we protect all of the animals in the wild. We could be animal people all we want, but we need to make sure that we have that level of activism. It's if you would like to contribute, her fundraising page is at justgiving.com forward slash fundraising forward slash Hanaconda. Again, that is on our show notes. Please visit. Please donate. It is a good cause. 
It's possibly an even better cause than us peddling smuts on the internet with our mouths. Another patron of ours is Snares. Now, Snares is a webcomic artist, um, and you can find more information concerning his work at patreon.com forward slash snares. It's um, the Patreon comic projects there, as well as page updates for a dollar every month. It's um, He's working on updating the webcomic information, so just visit. It's a one-stop shop for commissions and artist info. It snares as a master of muscles and size growth and macro. So if you're into those and you're looking for a good commission artist to seek, I highly recommend snares. Good friend of the show, great content, and definitely check out the comic. It's a great, great comic. If you're into the written word a little bit more, then Zarpolis is somebody that you can check out. Zarpolis is an author who has recently published a short novel with the Thirst and Hell Press that is titled The Pride of Pair of Humans. You can check it out on Amazon. And it's a book about furry and high-tech sci-fi. If you're interested in speculative fiction, sci-fi, potentially even Starcraft, you should enjoy his writing. You can check it out at paraempyrium.wordpress.com or support him on patreon.com forward slash czarpolis. And finally, if you're looking for a new friend on Twitter, Myron the Fluffy is your one-stop destination. Their Twitter handle is at Myron the Fluffy. Feel free to follow them for pictures and daily red panda dog ramblings. Thank you again for your support. Thank you again for your contributions. Your Donations, your Patreon subscriptions do help us to add content, to do research, and to attend more conventions, to do more panels, to improve our content. It's the circle of life. So we do thank you for all of your contributions, and thank you to all of our patrons, regardless of the tier that you have. We're going to go ahead and close out the show. It's been a lovely two hours spending it with you. Again, our apologies for the delay in getting this episode out, but technical difficulties be damned. Next week again. Dear God, I hope it recorded correctly this week. Oh God, I, my fingers are crossed. But <laughs> regardless, next week we're going to be talking about underwear and sex party etiquette. So get into your questions now. Until then, I'm Metrico. And I'm Fear of the Science, Kali. Be well. Thank you.